Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Hasta La Visa Baby podcast, a deep dive into U.S. immigration law and its relationship to fictitious characters in television and film. My name is Shai Dayan. I am an immigration attorney with Gibney, Anthony, and Flaherty, and I'm based in Los Angeles, California. And joining me today, as he will for every episode, He's also an immigration attorney. He's also with Gibney, Anthony, and Flaherty, but he's based in New York, and he just got back from Duncan's toy chest after returning his talk boy for a poor battery life. It's Mr. Roderick Potts. Rod, what's going on? Uh, Not much, Shai. How are you doing? I am hanging in there, and I just wanted to know, after Home Alone 2 came out, did you rush to the store and buy a talk boy right away? I don't think I did right away, but I definitely wanted one. I also didn't buy a talk boy, but... The good news is, is that we are using Home Alone 2 technology to record this podcast. We are using a Talkboy to record. Yeah, and then mailing the tape and then recording, intersplicing the, uh, exactly. the audio. So it should turn out well. And if the audience has no idea what we're talking about, you will. So uh, this is the Asta La Visa Baby podcast. And it's basically a fun way of introducing immigration law to the masses by incorporating it into something that everybody loves, which is television and film. Basically, this is the way it's going to work. Every episode, we're going to focus on a particular movie or television show that features a foreign national character living in the United States. We're going to do a deep dive into the movie or television show, focusing on the specific foreign national character. We are going to speculate as to what the character's U.S. visa status may have been, what problems or issues the character may have faced living in the U.S., and we are going to talk about a hypothetical consultation if the character came to us, the experts, for advice. And... We are going to imagine that all the characters are living in a 2020 U.S. immigration world. So, again, this is just a fun way of presenting immigration to people who might not really know about it or to those who do know about immigration. Here's a way to spice it up for you. So today we're going to be talking about the classic movie Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, one of my childhood favorites. And Rod, as the movie connoisseur, can you please give the audience a brief plot summary to bring them up to speed about what this movie was about? Sure. So as the title suggests, this is Home Alone 2. It is the long-anticipated sequel to the brilliant original. It takes place one year after the event of the first film. And it's Christmas time again, and the extended McAllister family is all in Chicago getting ready to fly to Miami for their, for their holiday vacation. Again, the family oversleeps in the morning. They're supposed to leave to go to the airport. Mayhem ensues while they get ready to go. Once they're at the airport, Macaulay Culkin, who plays Kevin, gets separated from his family again. He boards the wrong plane and ends up by himself in New York City. He then proceeds to make the best of the situation as he can. He goes sightseeing in New York checks into the Plaza Hotel using his father's credit card. Life in New York is pretty decent for him at first until the Plaza Hotel concierge, a very motivated and creepy Englishman, becomes convinced that Kevin's at the Plaza by himself using a stolen credit card. He sort of picks up on the game that Kevin is playing. He's right, by the way, just to throw that out there. Kevin also happens to, at the same time, run into the antagonist from the first film. They were the Wet Bandits. They're now called the Sticky Bandits. They've rebranded in the ensuing year. They've recently broken out of prison, and they plan to rob a toy store called Duncan's Toy Chest on Christmas Eve. Kevin becomes aware of their plot and lures them into his aunt and uncle's empty townhouse that is currently under renovation. 
the aunt and uncle are, are off in Europe celebrating the holidays. Kevin puts the sticky bandits through new and improved horrors and booby traps, which ultimately lead to their arrest. Kevin's family finally makes it to New York. They arrive with Kevin, and all is well again. All is well again. A great way of putting it. Kevin McAllister, he survives. Just some uh, fun facts about this movie. It was released on November 20th of 1992. It was the second most financially successful film of 1992, earning $359 million worldwide. Rotten Tomatoes wasn't such a fan of this movie, giving it an approval rating of only 33%. I think the most important part about this movie is that it features a prominent cameo that a lot of people were talking about at the time of the release, and a lot of people are continuing to talk about it. We're going to tell you all about that cameo a little bit later in the podcast. Yeah, it's a tremendous and beautiful cameo. Not a lot of credit was given. Not a lot of credit. Real quick, Shai, you had mentioned that this was the second most financially successful film of 1992. What was the first? Do we know? Oh, I have that information, and that would be the Disney cartoon classic Aladdin. Oh, well, we could probably do an episode on that, given that uh, you know Aladdin is an individual of foreign extraction. It didn't take place in the United States, but we can see what we can do. Maybe we can get our global immigration people involved in that one. <laughs> At this point, a lot of you are saying, okay, Home Alone 2, what in the world does this have to do with U.S. immigration? Oh, it has everything to do with U.S. immigration because um, we're going to be focusing on the concierge at the Plaza Hotel known as Mr. Hector, played by the lovable Tim Curry. And Rod, can you tell everybody who in the world Mr. Hector is? Sure. So Mr. Hector is the concierge at the Plaza Hotel. He's pompous and sly, and he's also a bit of a bully. It seems like he sort of has a job with some authority. He seems like he sort of supervises other employees. He's pretty bossy with them. He becomes obsessed with Kevin when Kevin checks into the hotel, and he just is fixated on him and goes out of his way to follow his every move, check up on him constantly. He's really investigating Kevin, even entering the hotel at night without permission. Mr. Hector eventually finds out that the credit card that Kevin used to check into the hotel has been reported as stolen. When he confronts Kevin, Kevin runs away. You know, Mr. Hector later bickers with Kevin's parents when they show up in New York looking for Kevin. They very much blame Mr. Hector for the entire situation where uh, it may not actually be Mr. Hector's fault, but he certainly didn't do anything to help. That's a pretty good breakdown of Mr. Hector. Being a bully, maybe that's part of the uh, Plaza Hotel ethos during this uh, time period, considering what we know about the ownership of the Plaza Hotel. Maybe. It Just putting be. it out there. It certainly was in the zeitgeist at the time. I, I think so. Now, Mr. Hector is obviously English. Now, there's two ways that Rod and I are able to figure out when somebody in the United States is a foreigner. One is that they tell us, because that's always the best way to find out. They basically just tell you. The other way is the accent. Rod and I are connoisseurs of accents, all accents, from all corners of the world. Um, We can tell you where you're from. Personally, we have a boss who's English, and we've been getting instruction in that that wacky English accent for years. So, uh, obviously... Mr. Hector, he's English. Um, it also helps that he's played by Tim Curry, an English actor. Who so, we know uh, to be English. Yeah. Who we know to be English. So, you know, yeah. all yeah, of you out there. Episode, yeah, we're, we're yeah. assuming he's English. He's English. He's English. It's, it's a fact. He's English. Yeah. So, as a, a UK national working for the Plaza Hotel, Mr. Hector would need some type of immigration status in the United States. You can't just be an Englishman and just get on a plane and come to the United States and start working at a hotel. It doesn't work like that. You need a visa. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about what type of visa we think Mr. Hector may have had. This might not be a perfect analysis, but we're just, you know, using the information that we have available to us from the movie. 
and we're going to speculate what type of visa Mr. Hector might have had. So, Rod, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that there's a strong case that could be made that Mr. Hector had what's known as an L1A intracompany transferee visa. I agree. I think, you know, as we go through the list of potential options, I think this is probably the strongest one. Where this case to land on my desk, given the facts as presented in the movie, this is probably where I'd start. So we can get into it real quick. So yeah, the please L1A, do. The L1A, I think, is the good place for us to start. And the L1A visa allows an employer to transfer a manager or executive from one of its affiliated foreign offices to an office in the United States. The sponsored employee must be seeking to enter the U.S. to provide services in an executive or managerial capacity for a branch of the same employer or one of its qualifying organizations. That's essentially within the same corporate family. So a successful L1A petition arguing for an intracompany manager transferee usually has to demonstrate that the proposed manager controls the work activities of subordinate employees, has you know, some of the hallmarks of that, which would be disciplinary authority, the capacity to hire and fire people, performance reviews, approving vacation, those sorts of the trappings of a quote-unquote manager. Um, Basically, everything you think of when you think of a manager, somebody who manages manager. subordinates, somebody who bosses exactly. people around. Exactly. Somebody who tells uh, you, your work is late. I need it on my desk. Get it to me. Correct. 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 I mean, the question there is that, is that in order to qualify for an L1A, you have to be a, an actual multinational organization, right? Which means you have to have overseas operations and U.S. operations that have to be affiliated or connected within the corporate family somehow. And So there's uh, two components there, two components. Yeah. One, the foreign national himself or herself, they have to qualify, but the company that's sponsoring, they have to qualify also. That's correct. That's correct. So it's conceivable in this case that a big hotel organization like the Plaza could have affiliates abroad. There could be a, you know, a global corporate conglomerate that might own multiple hotels, and these hotels could have the same owner. That would right. be considered an affiliated relationship. So I'm not familiar personally with what the corporate structure of the Plaza was in 1992, but there are a number of ways that it conceivably could qualify. A hotel right. chain theoretically could qualify for an L1A. So if we take the position, let's just assume that perhaps there was a hotel in London with a, a common owner that owned the plaza or the plaza owned a hotel in London, then you know those would be qualifying relationships and be able to transfer Mr. Hector. It's very conceivable. Uh, this is a really big hotel. The Plaza Hotel yeah. is one of the world-famous hotels, and it's very conceivable that they had affiliates in uh, Europe. Right, exactly. So as you pointed out, it's a two-part analysis. The first right. is, you know, does the company qualify? And we can let's we're going to say yes. Assume the company qualifies. Let's say yes. So then, moving on to Mr. Hector himself, we have to look at his position abroad and then his position in the U.S. Let's assume he had a managerial position abroad. Let's not really worry about that because the movie really just concentrates on what he's doing here. So right. It looks like he's got some some managerial responsibilities in New York, like we mentioned. He he bosses people around. Yeah. Um, it seems like he's got some authority. You know, he's got some people that look like they work beneath him. He seems it, to be the top dog. He seems to be. I mean, there is no one else at the hotel who is obviously outranking him in the pecking order there. So Yeah, he, he's uh, doing what he wants, when he wants to, and how he wants to. Yeah, and he definitely seems to boss around Cedric, the bellhop, who's, uh, who's played by Rob Schneider. The lovable and Rob Schneider. The lovable Rob Schneider. You know, he bosses him around, and the desk clerk, Hester Stone, he seems to, to tell her what to do, too. So I think it's conceivable he's got some, some level of managerial authority there. I agree with you. I think that your analysis, as always, as a superstar immigration attorney, is spot on. Again, what do we have to work with here? Only what we see on the big screen. 
So, you know, seeing what we see on the big screen, I think, you know, we know he's in the United States. We know he's working for a prominent organization. He would need a visa. And it seems to me like the L1A visa would definitely be a visa category that he would have qualified for. Yeah, potentially. I think if this case were really on my desk, I would want to know a little bit more about the, the real nature of his, his sure. of You know, we only see two people really that he seems to be bossing around. I'd want to know that, I want to know if there were a little more, two people, a team of two is a little weak for an LA. Right. I, would, I would like to see a larger group of people. Again, we'd want to know a little more about what their responsibilities are, what their qualifications are, you know, does the job require a college degree, et cetera. Sure. You know, these are, we don't want to get too far into the weeds of all the minutiae, but you know, it's not necessarily an open and shut case. It's not the greatest LA, no. but I think this is probably the closest thing that we're, that we're going to see. This isn't a documentary about Mr. Hector, so we don't know the, the complete right, right. aspects of his life and his job duties. We only know what we see on the big screen. So L1A, I, I, sounds good. I would watch, I would watch that documentary. Oh, I, I would pretty, too, pretty because weird. when he goes home from work, one can only imagine what he gets into. That's when the real movie starts. That man has fetishes. That's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so L1A, that's a nice uh, visa option, but I'm also thinking, you know, I'm an immigration attorney too. I know Rod's providing all the analysis, but for everyone out there, I'm pretty good myself. That's a real quick shot, just so we can just jump back real quick to the L1A. How long would he get if he qualified for an L1A? Well, somebody who qualified for L1A status would get a grand total of seven years in the United States. Some people do a PhD in seven years. Some people come to work in the United States for seven years. It's really your choice. There you go. Seven years. Right. I think there's another visa category that uh, Mr. Hector might have qualified for, and that might have been the L1B intercompany transferee uh, right. visa. Do you want to get into the details on that a little bit? Uh, um, sure. So the L1B visa is um, a specialized knowledge visa. It's a classification that enables a U.S. employer to transfer a professional employee with specialized knowledge relating to the organization's interests from one of its affiliate foreign offices to one of its offices in the United States. So it has the same two-component tests as the L1A. The company has to qualify, and also the person who's being sponsored has to qualify. The sponsored employee must be seeking to enter the United States to provide a service of a specialized knowledge capacity to a branch of the same employer or one of his qualifying organizations. What is specialized knowledge? This has been a source of frustration amongst immigration attorneys, immigration professionals, and um, visa holders themselves, um, because the, the regulations don't really do a great job as defining what specialized knowledge is. Rod, what do you think, with, for the resident expert on specialized knowledge, what do you think specialized knowledge is in the, in the uh, context of an L1B visa? So the way that we generally, when we get a case that we're considering doing an L1B for, we, we generally will tell the employer that this individual has to have knowledge that is unique within their own organization, organization. that extends beyond that of the typical employee. Clearly, it has to be held far in excess of the industry in general. We, we actually concentrate more on the organization. This person knows more than anyone else about X. And this gets very case-specific. It could right. be a product the individual works on. It could be specific policies and procedures. It could be certain technology that the company uses or sells, perhaps. It's a lot of different things. But the, the real crux of it that we concentrate on is that the knowledge has to be very company-specific. It has to be, you know, something that is very specific and unique to this company that no one just knows. You know, like right. someone that works for a competing company or organization in the same industry wouldn't readily or right. know about it. 
And when it comes to the Plaza Hotel, again, this is a very famous hotel. They probably have a lot of specific procedures in place, a lot of specific policies. And you would think that there is some specialized knowledge that some of their employees know about the company. So is it, con- is it conceivable that Mr. Hector has specialized knowledge? I mean, he's a star concierge. He's working the desk. He's in the financial systems of the company. He's looking up Kevin's credit card information. He sure does know how to appoint guests to you know, have a great experience in New York. Could Mr. Hector have specialized knowledge? I think it's conceivable. Right. You know, it's, it's something that, that it's, it's worth looking into. I think if this case were on my desk, I would err on the side of the L1A. Yeah. Um, is there something that's that specific about you know hospitality or hotel work at the plaza that someone who works at a Four Seasons hotel wouldn't know or wouldn't be able to pick up easily? Those are some of the questions that we ask when we yeah. deal with L1B. You know, if someone who works for a comparable size or organization within the same industry, how easy could they walk in and do this job? Probably um, not. So, yeah, so we would want to see, if we're looking really seriously at the L1B, we'd want to see that there's a lot of very company-specific things. So it's conceivable, but I still think the L1A is probably, I just don't know. I agree with you. Clear, it's not clear to me that there's something yeah. like that unique. He didn't seem to be working on a lot of very unique no. plaza-based Unless spying on children requires specialized knowledge. Unless breaking into people's right. rooms requires specialized knowledge. I just don't know if it does. Also, if the plaza has their own unique way of doing those things, right. then... Breaking into rooms. Like, let's say the plaza breaks into people's rooms better than the Best Western. That would be specialized knowledge, yes? Precisely. Precisely. Well, I agree with you. If this case came on my desk, I probably, knowing what I know about the movie, I don't think this is a specialized knowledge case. So let's go with L1A. Mr. Hector is um, an L1A intro company manager. Definitely. I agree. Yeah. I I think that's the best option moving forward. What we do have to talk about in the context of immigration is Mr. Hector's um, shady behavior. Because a lot of things that he does, I feel like, would cause him to get fired. And that brings up a very interesting topic is that when you're in the United States on a visa, what happens? You or I, if we get fired, we just set off into the sunset, we go drinking, and we just, you know, have fun in America, right? We're Americans. But Mr. Hector, he's on a visa. So if he got fired, maybe he wouldn't be able to just go off into the sunset and drink. He would probably have other requirements. But first, before we talk about that, let's talk about a little bit about Mr. Hector and some of his uh, shenanigans. Sure. So number one, he's very interested in Kevin and he doesn't trust Kevin. So instead of talking to Kevin, he decides that late at night, what I'm going to do is I'm going to knock on Kevin's door, no answer, and I'm just going to open the door. I'm going to go in and I'm going to snoop around. I mean, what's that about? That's not ideal. I don't think hotels encourage that from their employees. Certainly not. I wouldn't think they would. Right. Another thing that he does is that once he's actually in the hotel room, he takes it a step further. He hears the shower. All right. He hears the shower. And instead of being like, oh, somebody's in here taking a shower, a very private moment, he decides, you know what? Let me open the bathroom door and take a look and see what else is going on. I would have to assume, I know very little about the hotel industry, but I would have to assume of all the things you can do wrong in a hotel, I would imagine this is right up there with the worst things you can do is sneak in, let alone a guest's room. That's bad enough. Right. Right. Make it into the bathroom right. while someone's in the shower. I can't, I mean. I the only imagine. thing worse would be setting up a video camera and, and watching right. that shower with all his exactly. fellow pervert employees downstairs. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I would imagine that, that, you know, those two things alone, easily fired. fired. You're fired. You're fired. As the owner of the Plaza Hotel at that time would have said, you're fired. At the time, might have said, yeah, you're, you're fired. You're fired. 
It would have been tremendous. Tremendous. It would have been a tremendous firing. Okay, so Kevin McAllister puts in a complaint to uh, the Plaza Hotel. Higher-ups, this man broke into my room. This man came into the shower when I was taking a shower. They fire yep. Mr. Hector. So right. Mr. Hector is on an L-1A visa. He just got fired. What does that mean for him? What happens? So his L-1 status is tied to his employment with the Plaza. So if he is no longer employed, he loses his L-1 status. So what happens in this in this instance is that U.S. law provides for a 60-day grace period at the end of your employment, whether it's premature termination or whether it's at the end of the L-1, the normal period of stay. So That's pretty nice, 60 days. 60 days is pretty good. And just to backtrack real quick, I think we've got sure. to mention that the L-1B would have afforded him five years in, ah. uh, of stay in the United States. So good the point. L-1A managers... L1A managers get a little bit longer. They get seven. Specialized knowledge employees get five. So had he worked through that normal five or seven-year maximum period of stay, then he would have had 60 days to wrap up his affairs and depart the United States. Or if he were terminated, as we suspect he would be very much so in this case, he would have 60 days to do a couple things. One, to depart, or he could try to file, you know, if he needed extra time, he could try to file an application, say, to change his status to that of a tourist. Right. That would allow him the time to wrap up his affairs, move out of his apartment, wherever he lives, and just, you know, go off back to England. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that's really nice. Uh, we're not going to touch upon the fact that what he did might have been criminal. So there might have been right. some police issues. We are not criminal lawyers. We're just talking about immigration. Mr. Hector might be a criminal. We'll leave that for another time. Yeah. If he were to be convicted of crime, those would have other far-reaching other, other, impacts. Other far-reaching far immigration impacts. But we'll get to those in a future episode. Yeah, there's plenty of criminals to deal with in future episodes. That's right. Okay, so we've been skirting around this topic for a long time. We made a few, you know, hints at it. But let's talk about a very important cameo that took place in this movie. Absolutely. We have, may have never met Mr. Hector if there was not for a cameo appearance by a certain 45th president of the United States of America. How appropriate for the man, Donald Trump, a figure so connected to immigration policy to appear in a film which sole focus is immigration. That's right, yeah. When Kevin first comes to the Plaza Hotel, he um, runs by Donald Trump, he stops Donald Trump, and he asks a very young and dapper Donald Trump wearing his traditional trench coat and traditional red tie, he says, how do I get to the lobby? So Trump, he gives Kevin directions. He says, maybe the greatest quote in the history of any movie, down the hall and to the left. Have you ever heard such words spoken so beautifully? Not since I saw JFK. (laughs) Thank you. Regarding his role in the film, it's something that Trump still talks about to this day. Rod, I believe there was a a December 2019 uh, Newsweek article that mentions a video call to members of the armed forces. And you have the quote that Trump said during that video call to the members of the armed forces. Yes, I do. So he... In a call talking to the armed forces on December 24th on Christmas in a dress, which is, I understand to be a very traditional thing for a president to do. He says, I'm in Home Alone 2, and a lot of people mention it every year, especially around Christmas. They say, I just saw you, especially young kids, they say, I just saw you on the movie. They saw him on the movie. On the movie. movie. So I'm on the movie. Yeah, that's a, a brilliant quote. This performance also makes you wonder why Trump did not win any awards for a supporting role like this. I would like to mention that in 1993, the Golden Globes and the Academy Awards, they gave the award for Best Supporting Actor to a, uh, a schlub named Gene Hackman, who uh, you, might have remember, you might remember from uh, Unforgiven, which was a pretty well-regarded movie at the time. Yeah, but he didn't become president. 
No, he didn't become president. So again, Trump's performance was better, much better, much better. Not only did the Academy and the Hollywood foreign press not give the Trump the credit he deserved, but the entire country of Canada, the entire country, they similarly do not like the performance. Canada seems to be so opposed to the performance that there are reports that his cameo was completely edited out of recent airings of Home Alone 2 on all Canadian broadcasts. That's right. So the, the CBC ran it over the you know, around the Christmas holiday uh, just yeah. recently in 2019. And yeah, apparently they, they edited out that scene. The CBC apparently claims that it was just edited for time because the scene didn't serve the, the larger story. Right. But no value judgments here. We'll, no. let, the, uh, we'll let the audience decide right. what, they think, uh, what they think about that. And just to wrap on that yeah. cameo, I forget who... Shai, can you tell me who the actor was? Who it was Matt Damon. It was Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Yeah, said that if you, or at least at the time, and I don't know if this is still the case, but you know, Matt Damon claims that at the time, at least, if you wanted to shoot any movie on a Trump property, he had to have a cameo. That was a, yeah, this, a condition for shooting. So and, explains the cameo and explains, you know, yeah. if you ever see randomly Donald Trump in other films, it may be because there was shooting going on. Reportedly, this was the rule that there was shooting going on on one of his properties. And if we know anything about Matt Damon, he's quite like George Washington. He cannot tell a lie, so I, I don't see Matt Damon lying about this. Right. Why would he make that up? I mean, it's, and it, it seems in character. It does seem in character. Well, this was a very important uh, little tangent that we uh, decided to take. We'll be doing these during these podcasts for your entertainment. And, and to do a not-so-smooth transition into the next section of the podcast, this is a favorite section of the podcast for me. We're going to talk about a hypothetical consultation if the uh, character came to us and wanted some immigration advice. So let me set the stage for everybody, okay? Harad, let me set the stage for you. Mr. Hector, he rolls up to our New York City offices on Fifth Avenue where we've got the view of Fifth Avenue. We've got the view of the park. When you go to the 10th floor conference room, he's made an appointment with you. And uh, he wants to talk to Roderick Potts himself, the man, to talk about what his um, future options for immigration in the United States might have been. So, right. so we're assuming he hasn't been fired yet. Right. right. He's an L1A status. Different. He hasn't been fired. That would be a very different conversation. But right. So let's, let's talk about So generally, the first question that everybody wants to know when they're here on a temporary basis, if they, if they would like to remain in the United States, they want to know about a green card option. Sure. So that's probably the dream. Where the, the dream. Probably where the conversation would start. So I think the advice, if he came to us for to ask about his future options, I'd say the green card, the employment-based green cards, are cut up into these different what we call preference categories. The first preference is what's called the multinational manager. And again, we're assuming that he's still employed as an L1A and he's still has working in a managerial capacity. Basically, it's the quickest employment-based option for a green card. And it's the easiest and quickest way for somebody who's already in L1A status. The criteria are very, very similar between the L1A and the green card multinational manager classifications. They're very, very similar. So by and large, if somebody qualifies for an L1A, we often take, make the assumption that they would qualify for the multinational manager green card. Again, same rules apply. He has to work for an affiliate abroad in a managerial capacity, be working in the U.S. in a managerial capacity for the reasons we touched on why he would qualify as an L1A. I think we can think that perhaps, you know, he would qualify again um, right. as a multinational manager. I generally take the position we and many of our fellow attorneys at the firm do that, you know, we try to make a stronger case from the point of view of, or from the when we're filing a petition for a green card. As you know, one of the attorneys that trained me said, you know, the prize is larger, so the bar is higher. 
Right. So it sounds like the elements of this multinational manager green card sponsorship process are very similar to an L1A. So does that mean that anybody who's an L1A is always going to qualify for the multinational manager? No, definitely not. You know, like right. I mentioned before, this isn't the strongest L1A. No. As we go, we've got only two people. Right. Uh, there are a lot of cases where with employers, clients of ours, where we have people who are in L1A status and we advise them, you know, a multinational manager green card might not be the best route because whenever you don't have confidence that this, this would be approved. There are many, many reasons why an L1A might not qualify, including one that specific provision that allows that somebody could have been a specialized knowledge employee abroad. Right. Can be an L1 employee and still qualify for L1 status. That would not allow them to. So overall, it sounds like immigration services, they're probably going to be scrutinizing a multinational manager process very carefully because giving out green cards is, is, is not something that they're in the habit of. Green card sponsorship is difficult. It takes a long time. And uh, just because you're an L1A doesn't mean you're going to get a green card. But if you are an L1A status and the person is looking for a green card and the company wants to sponsor them for a green card, the best place to start is multinational manager, fast track process. Let's do an analysis. Absolutely. During your consultation with Mr. Hector, I'm sure all kinds of other crazy things come up. I'm sure he's going to tell you about all his criminal problems. My advice for you, I'm not meeting him. I'm in L.A. He's in New York. You can meet with him. My advice for you is don't leave this man alone. Do not leave this man alone. Have somebody watching him at all times. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he would, he would have a chaperone the entire time. Are you going to charge him for the consultation? Or are you going to, you know, this on the house? What do you think? I'm, char- I'm charging him. For yeah, I think yeah, so. Absolutely. Mr. Hector, you got to charge him. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that brings us to uh, the final portion of uh, this podcast, and that's going to be our overall takeaways from the movie, our overall takeaways regarding the uh, visa issues we have. Let me give you some of my final takeaways. Takeaway number one, Home Alone 2. Kevin's parents are awful. Let me tell you why. Two years in a row, they completely forget about their 10-year-old son. They leave him at home the first year. And in the second year, they lose him at the airport, and he ends up in a city all by himself. And they take absolutely no responsibility for their actions. Personally, I'm not a parent of humans. I'm only the parent of a feline. So I don't know about human parenting, but Rod, as our expert resident parent, sure. are the McAllister's good parents? <laughs> they try to, in both films, create like these sort of cute reasons why Kevin is left behind. In the first one, there's a mistaken head count because the neighbor kid is there. And in the new movie, he's running behind his dad and falls behind to put the batteries in his talk boy. And he sees another, uh, another man with a similar coat and confuses and thinks that's his father. So instead of running to the plane right. to Florida, he runs to the plane to New York. But then again, you know, the family makes it to the plane on time. And instead of doing a head count before boarding the plane, no. which I think that's what I would do. And right. I only have two children, and I would probably double check to make sure I had both of them. <laughs> so and you wouldn't. If I, if you I had wouldn't, lost one the year before, right. I probably would. would be it would be on your later. radar. Like, we lost our child last year. Let's not do it again this year. So you basically. You wouldn't just go to first class and start drinking. You'd probably want to make sure that all your kids were there. Or a combination of both. And a combination of both. I mean, as soon as they were accounted for, I'd be in first class drinking. Drinking. Exactly. But, exactly. Yeah. But certainly, yeah. Bad parents. So End of story. Bad parents. Bad parents. There's no movie, but it's, you know, it's Bad parents. Takeaway number two, the McAllister family, very large, 11 kids amongst only two couples, big, big fans of procreation. What do you say? Definitely. Lots and lots of kids. These are, these are two families with 11 total. 11 in the 90s. Yeah. This is yeah. modern times. Yeah. 
Tremendous number. Tremendous. Tremendous. Tremendous number. Something's going on there. They they love children. Another takeaway is that it appears from the movie that New York City is very small and it's rather easy to get around on foot, especially for a 10-year-old who's never been there before. He lands in New York City in the late morning, okay? And then when he's checking into the Plaza Hotel, you can see that the clock says 2.50 p.m. So are you telling me that he flies to New York, lands in New York in the late morning, and by 2.50 p.m. he's gone to the Empire State Building, he's gone to the Statue of Liberty, he's gone to the World Trade Center, he's been in Midtown, and then he makes it to the Plaza Hotel? Really? He's done the entire island of Manhattan in that time. Is there a a hyperloop that we don't know about? In about a three-hour time span, he he hits everything. Everything. It's remarkable. Kevin McAllister, sociopath, yes or no? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a, a normal child would probably call the police and let them know, hey, there's these two criminals. They want to rob a toy store. Do something about it. No, nope, not Kevin. He's like, you know what? I want to put these people through torture. I want to, I want to do things yeah. that would kill them over and over and over again. I want to electrocute them. I want to blow them up. I want to set them on fire. I want to throw bricks at them from three floors yeah. up. Like a cat with a bird or a mouse. Yeah, this is... I mean, he, he toys with them. He injures them and takes great joy. Great joy. Kevin needs help. Yeah, he needs help. Kevin needs help. How do we think Kevin McAllister turned out as an adult? Not well. Not well. High school probably was pretty tough for him. I think high school would be tough, although I wouldn't want to cross him in high school. No, I wouldn't want to cross him. I I see two career options for Kevin based upon what What we've seen. Number one, serial killer. I think he would probably refine, he would refine his craft. Right, yeah. I mean, as he gets older and a little more sophisticated. He's a really good planner. I mean, he's a really good planner. He is a good planner, yeah. Another route is maybe a protection company specialist. Maybe you know yeah, one of the protection crazy. companies uh, who provide home security. security. Yeah, or, or even corporate. Corporate even, security? You know, corporate yeah. security or, or even... Right. Yeah, I was just wondering, maybe some sort of military thing. Yeah. Take that rage and that really... That, focus it. And focus it and try to make it you know, positive, a net positive for the world. Yeah. Who, knows? Uh, yeah. who knows? Nobody knows. We'll never know. There could we'll be a know. really dark sequel to Home Alone. About yeah. Kevin McAllister's life, a really dark sequel. Maybe we yeah. should talk about writing that sequel. We should talk about, yeah. I mean, you make a good point that he was that he's got some organizational skills. He's a good planner. Yeah, yeah he's and a good so, planner. You know, maybe military. Actually, it just occurred to me. Just occurred. Might be a good thing. You know, he can yeah, crime skills. or military. Yeah, one or the other. Crime or military, or both. Both. Why not dabble in one, dabble in the other? What about Mr. Hector, our you know uh, L1A, perhaps multinational manager? How do we think he turned out? I mean, I think once all this comes to a head at the hotel, I think I can't imagine he keeps his job at the hotel. Uh, no, I can't imagine that all is just forgiven at the end. And what he got into was some pretty, like you mentioned before, some pretty criminal activity. I, I, yeah. I think he's going to be looking at some jail time. Yeah, in his personal life, he seems like the stalking type, you know, maybe yeah. uh, an ex-girlfriend or boyfriend. I don't know. Maybe they crossed him and uh, he, he's stalking <laughs> them. You don't know. This Mr. Hector, the activities, very, very much so. the activities that he's involved in in this movie doesn't seem like it's the first time for him. I feel like he's done this before. I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> well, I mean... This was a lot of fun. Did you have fun? I had a great time. We've been talking about this for a long time. I'm glad we finally got to do it. We hope that you, the audience, have learned a lot about L1A visas, L1B visas, multinational manager, fast track green card processes. Um, We certainly did. I learned a lot from listening to you. And in the research for this. Yeah. Wow. There are two types of L1. Right, wow. two. There's two types. I, I thought I knew it all, and here. Not we to mention the fact that their dependents are qualified for visas too. But that's a whole another talk for another time. Yeah, that's a different film. He, yeah. As far as we know, Mr. Hector was single. So in another movie, we can cover. The, we could cover that. We could cover that. Yeah. 
This was an educational film. I think that the point of the movie was to teach us about the plight of foreigners in the United States and what it's like to work for a uh, huge corporation. I, I don't see any other real reason for the movie than that. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think that's a big part of it, yeah. To the listeners out there, this is something we're going to be doing a lot. We have a ton of ideas for shows. There's a ton of movies and television shows with foreign national characters that are going to be a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, we do hope that this becomes the number one niche immigration podcast in all of the land. I think we might have tens of listeners today, but we sure might have hundreds by tomorrow. You don't know. We don't know, yeah. We would love we to hear know. from you. If you have questions, you can email us. Our email address is astalavisa at gibney.com. Again, it's astalavisa at gibney.com. Uh, we would love to hear your gratitude, your pleasantries, your thanks. We, we love the credit. You know, give us credit. And ideas. If you have yeah. ideas for future episodes, feel free to send them over. We, you know, if you have gripes with us, if you have gripes with us, yeah. if you want to talk about our, our immigration expertise, you want to challenge us, challenge us. We're ready. Sure. Yeah. Or if you yeah. just want to say hi, or just you have non-immigration questions. We love, we love, we love it. Advice. We have a lot of advice to give immigration or yeah. not. We hope that you join us next time and for future episodes. Next time we're going to be talking about the 2004 masterpiece Talladega Nights, the ballad of Ricky Bobby starring Will Ferrell and Sasha Baron Cohen, who plays a French formula one driver who comes to the United States to become a NASCAR champion. So uh, you need a visa to do that. And, I would imagine you would. And there is a visa for that. And we're going to talk about that next time. Basically, it was a lot of fun. And until next time, Rod, that's your cue. That's your cue. Okay, Rod, let's try it again. Ready? This is our first time, everybody. So here we go. Ready? Until next time. Hasta la visa, baby.